Hey, everybody. Uh, just going to do a quick little uh, review of the judicial branch for your quiz tomorrow. It, it, the quiz is just a CFA, so it's not going to be a, a grade killer. But uh, just wanted to, since this was such a quick little part of the, the unit four, just wanted to um, give you a, a quick rundown of the, the judicial branch and what we've covered so far. All right. So first off, the uh, judicial branch was established in the third uh, article of our constitution. Uh, and it spells out, um, you know, kind of the, the role and the responsibility of it. Uh, remember there is no, you know, listing of, of, of requirements is the only requirement to be a, a federal judge is to be <clears throat> appointed by the president and then confirmed by the Senate. That's it. There is no listing of age, uh, residency, citizenship, anything like that uh, in Article 3. Uh, but that is the foundation of the judicial branch, is Article 3. Uh, the next thing we looked at was Fed 78. You did a reading uh, of, of Fed 78 or a guided reading with those five questions. The main thing to remember here is that uh, you know there was a worry from the uh, anti-federal side about the judicial branch uh, in the constitution and that it it could become uh too powerful of a thing and so in fed 78 um hamilton is making the argument you know for the fact that hey it's going to be the weakest branch it's not going to be this branch that can uh, accumulate and assume all this power because they are reliant they are so reliant on the other branches to get anything done. Remember, there is no such thing as a Supreme Court Army, Supreme Court Police Force, anything like that. So the Supreme Court and all the other courts, for that matter, make their and then they have to rely on other branches, the executive and the bureaucracy, for the most part, to enforce those decisions or the states and, and things like that. So, you know, I like to use the Brown versus Board of Education case as a, a great example of that. The Supreme Court made their decision in the majority opinion, the one that is used to, to kind of guide the, the bureaucracy, the states, the, basically the, the, the individuals, the groups, whatever it is that's going to enforce the decision. Hey, states and schools should uh, desegregate, should integrate with all deliberate speed. And then it takes the states 12 years or so to actually integrate. So, you know, yes, you have this, this powerful tool. The, the judicial branch can do this. They can make these decisions and they can influence policy and they can overturn policy and whatnot. But at the end of the day, it's up to all these other individuals to, to uh, enforce the law. And then you got Marbury versus Madison. <laughs> that's going to, to be probably the key early case um, in our history at least for the Supreme Court, because this is the one that establishes judicial review. This is the case where, and I'm not going to go into all the details of the case, but it, it is a required case. But uh, this is where, if you remember the midnight judges, okay, so Adams, as he's leaving office, he signs in all these judges. And then uh, Jefferson refuses to, to honor those, those things, and he doesn't send their names into the Senate for confirmation and all that kind of stuff. So they were appointed but then they never got uh, through the confirmation process. And so Marbury sues, basically, saying, hey, I should be getting my appointment and my confirmation hearing and all that kind of good stuff. And he never did. And so he sued for that reason. And the Supreme Court eventually said, you know what, the whole Judiciary Act is, is unconstitutional. And so they blew that whole thing up. And so that's, uh, that's why um, 
that's kind of what established the, the ability of judicial review. Uh, next thing you got is the, the stare decisis and the precedence and, and basically just kind of the, the way the court works. Um, a precedent, so don't get these confused, okay? Precedent is a case that really establishes a law, a policy, uh, whatever it might be. You know, Brown versus Board of Education is going to establish uh, you know, uh, integrated schools. Plessy versus Ferguson before that was a precedent setting case because it established that separate but equal. You know, more recently, we have cases like uh, Miranda versus Arizona, which establishes the precedent of reading people their rights. Uh, Obergefell versus Hodges sets the precedent of uh, same-sex marriages being legal and everybody being able to get married and things like that. Okay, so precedent really sets the policy. It sets the, I don't want to call it the law because the judicial decisions are not the law, but it sets the bureaucracy down a path where they have to enforce these things uh, as almost laws. Okay. Stare decisis is just a reliance on past cases to help with the decisions currently. So uh, I probably watch too many law shows, but um, every lawyer show I feel like I've ever watched there has been a scene where the main lawyer has gone out to their aide or their intern or whoever it is. And they said, I've got this case. It's this, this, and this. I need you to go to the law books and I want you to find me a case that's similar so I can use it in court. And so the law clerk will go in there and they'll be looking through the books and they'll come, come away with some case from you know 1992 that is similar. And so then the, the main lawyer will present that to the, the judges or the judge or whoever it is. And be like, hey, you know, in 1992, in a very similar case, y'all ruled this way. And if they use stare decisis, they're going to look and they're going to compare. And they might just let it stand. They might say, well, yeah, we did decide that back in 1992. It's the same case today. We're just going to use that decision. All right. So stare decisis is just relying on the old cases versus a precedent which sets the policy for the country. All right. Now, the other thing you did uh, in this this part of the unit uh, was about the ideological changes. And you looked into, <clears throat> excuse me, how the court, you know, the, the composition changes over the years and the, the ideological changes happen uh, because of that. And so we, we've had a shift. You know, right now we have a conservative uh, majority on the on the courts. And so obviously the, the ideologicals, uh, is going to change and shift to the, the more conservative uh, side of things. So yeah, that's all that's getting at is, and it, you know, we, we saw this example last May where Roe versus Wade was overturned because of the new ideological you know, shift uh, that they've had. So they, they rejected that precedent. Roe versus Wade was a precedent setting case, right? And it got overturned uh, because of that. And so that can happen. And you know, at some point it'll swing back the other way and things will happen on that side. So it's just you know, the, the ebbs and flows uh, of the court. All right, we're going to take a quick break and be right back to wrap this thing up. All right, welcome back. Uh, so the last two sections deal with the court in action and then the, the checks on the, the court. And so um, the thing to think about in the court in action part is the fact that the court is, is always going to be questioned. And uh, the big question comes from their life term. You know, federal court judges 
whether it be Supreme Court or District Court or whatever, they get the life, lifetime terms. And so the question becomes, these judges are making these decisions and they don't have to worry whatsoever about any kind of repercussions. They can make the decisions. They can make unpopular or controversial decisions. And they don't have to worry about anything because they're going to be there. They're going to have their job regardless. And so uh, it sometimes leads to challenges, you know, questions about the court, uh, questions about the legitimacy of the court um, and whether they, you know, whether that that, that should be a thing. Um, And a lot of times, you know, Congress and the president really can't do anything because they can't fire these judges. They can't like reduce their salary. Uh, I mean, they could impeach them, but they can't impeach them just for a decision unless they can find that they were on the take or something like that. Uh, really, the only way the, the the Congress and the president can address these things um, is once someone leaves office, leaves the term, uh, leaves the the bench, the the judgeship. You know, they could address that uh, by appointing someone that's going to do something different, uh, you know, different ideologically or however it might be. Uh, Congress could pass legislation, but that takes forever. Uh, Congress does have the power and the ability to to change the jurisdiction of the court. And, and Congress, at the end of the day, does have authority over the court. They could add people to the Supreme Court. They could take people away. Uh, the number, right, is nine, but that's not set in, in, in the Constitution. It just says a hey, Congress can set the, the number. Uh, that's why FDR, with the court packing, that's why he wanted to to make it 15 because Congress had that power and that ability. So they were, that's why that act was a whole thing. Uh, and, you know, they could change the districts. You know, if, if Georgia has three federal districts down here, if Congress was unhappy with the Southern district, they could collapse it and say, well, hey, we're just going to have two districts in Georgia. You know, they, they can do that with the, the jurisdiction. And in, in extreme examples, uh, you know, the president can refuse to, to implement the decisions. And, and we're seeing this. To an extent, I haven't seen much more about it uh, here recently, but the abortion pill decision, Biden, the, that administration said, hey, we, we might just not enforce that decision. We might ignore the fact that you've said it can't be used. So, uh, and, and that leads us into the checks that the, the, the two branches have on the, the, uh, the, uh, the court. Okay. Um, and really it takes quite the effort to check the the courts uh, especially the supreme court okay uh congress they can always do a constitutional amendment you know they could they can uh, all right let me take a step back congress can pass a piece of legislation all right that that impacts the supreme court that impacts and changes the the decision you know obergefell versus hodges that established the precedent of legalized marriage for everybody. Congress, in theory, could go out and they could pass a law that says, no, hey, a marriage is defined as this, and they could basically wipe out that decision. Now, the problem with that is, first off, it takes forever because Congress takes forever to get anything done. Secondly, the court could always rule that is unconstitutional. Okay. So, you know, Congress has this power and this authority and this ability, but the, the courts can always make this rule in against that, that new law or that new policy that they're creating. 
So they could create an amendment. But once again, this takes forever to do as well. You got to get Congress to agree to the amendment. Then you got to get the states to ratify it. And all that stuff takes way, way long. It's not a quick process, at least in the history it's not. Okay, uh, the president gets to appoint people, but they only get to appoint people when there's openings. The Senate gets to confirm them, but they only get to confirm them when there's an appointment, which only happens when there is a an opening. So it's not like it's this quick thing. Okay, um, probably the most impactful, the most powerful check that there is is the fact that the president, governors of the states, the states themselves can't always ignore the Supreme Court decisions. All right, so you know, keep on bringing up Brown versus Board, but the states did ignore that decision for 12 years. My favorite example comes from history, uh, and it's not really a positive example, but it's an example, and I think you're familiar with it probably to an extent from U.S. history. But Andrew Jackson, when the Cherokee had sued, uh, you know, over the the loss of their lands here in Georgia. The Supreme Court, John Marshall, said uh, the Cherokee won. They should not be removed. They shouldn't be taken off their land. And Andrew Jackson was like, well, hey, Marshall, you know, you, you made your decision. Now you come and enforce it. And he just chose not to enforce it. So there is that power. And that's probably the most powerful decision that the, the president can make is to just, hey, we're not going to enforce that decision. All righty. Uh, and then, you know, we thought about the legislation already. Um, now, Congress does have that power, that ability to to affect the court directly. Like I was talking about how they can set the number of Supreme Court justices. They can affect the, the jurisdiction of the court as far as, hey, you have this territory, you have this, this and this. Congress can always make changes to that. But once again, it's time consuming and it's not going to be a quick fix. Finally, is uh, the activism versus restraint. So you did something with this uh, in class. Uh, just remember that activism is the idea that judges, the court themselves, should use their own personal ideologies to kind of set policies with their decisions. All right. And you had to pick some court cases that you thought showed activism. And a great example of this would be Brown versus Board or maybe Miranda versus Arizona, among others. But uh, just very quickly, it would have been very easy for the Warren Court to take a look at Brown versus Board of Education and say, you know what? Stare decisis. We have Plessy versus Ferguson. It established separate but equal. We're just going to let that decision stand and let it ride. But they chose to, to take a different path, and they overturned Plessy versus Ferguson. That's judicial activism. Okay? Um Miranda versus Arizona. Miranda caught, confessed to sexual assault, charged, convicted, put in jail. Pretty clean cut. Clear cut might be a better way to say it. The court could have easily said, yeah, you confessed. You're a criminal. You don't have those rights. But instead, they chose a different path. And they said, well, no, this person should have the, the right to to be told they don't have to talk to the police. And so they overturned that conviction and he got a new trial. Still found guilty, but you know, it's a, uh, it was activism to actually overturn the previous decision that had been made. Okay. Now restraint is where the courts and the judges are supposed to 
keep their personal ideologies out of it and just rely on the Constitution. Now, the best example of this to me is Texas versus Johnson. We've talked about this case a few times. And Texas versus Johnson is the flag burning case. And this is where um, Johnson burned the flag in protest. It was against state law, arrested, charged, convicted, put in jail. He appeals. It gets to the Supreme Court. It would have been very easy for the Supreme Court to go off of kind of public opinion and the other branch's opinion. Because most everybody at the time was like, yeah, that's a you can't burn the flag. Lock them up, throw away the key for burning the flag. Um, so it would have been very easy for them to just say, you know what? Everybody is for this decision. Uh, we'll back up the state laws and we'll we'll use that. But they relied on the Constitution. They relied on the First Amendment, the fact that we have free speech and the fact that we have symbolic speech. And so they put their personal feelings away, their personal uh, ideas about the burning of the flag, and they uh, released Johnson, and they voided pretty much all of those state laws. Okay, uh, all right. So there is that. Uh, so about fifteen minutes here. Uh, hopefully, it's not too bad for you. Uh, I'll see you in class tomorrow. We'll take this quiz. It's only fifteen questions, so it won't take you too long. Uh, I hope you have a great evening. Stay dry. It's raining as I record this, and I'll uh, talk to you later. All right. Bye bye.